Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. Come on in and meet myself and Andy Brassel, who's here to answer your questions about European football. Andy, how the dickens are you? I'm very well. Hello, Ramblers. How are you? Hmm. Yeah, the silence speaks volume, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Silence speaks volumes because they, they are... On tender hooks, ready to hear what you've got to say, uh, and I think I think um, I think there's, there's been some uh, quite lively chat on the mailbag uh, on, on the mailbag thread in the Discord. We'll get to that uh, in just uh, a moment. Um, but first, Andy, in these lockdown times, of course, we're, we're at home a lot more, and we're we're we, we we're sort of starved of live sport and, and one thing and another. So so Netflix and Amazon Prime is where people are turning to a lot, and Tom has asked this. I wanted to ask Andy if he'd seen The Last Dance on Netflix and if it's a good or accurate uh, portrayal of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Andy, I've not seen this. I know you're a big NBA fan. I'm guessing that you have seen it. I have watched it. I've been watching it um, with delight, really. I've been enjoying it so much. And it's funny, I I was speaking to a a couple of people about this, including um, producer Charlie and photographer Sam. And we were just saying the... The footage is so amazing in it and all the characters are so amazing in it. Is it possible to get it wrong as a documentary? Is is it a great documentary or is it just the footage is so unbelievable? I don't think it really matters from an enjoyment Mm. perspective. And having got into NBA as an adult, I've enjoyed it so much because I broadly knew the Jordan story and knew a fair bit about Michael Jordan. But some of the other bits are new to me and seeing it all as it happens, because they had a, a camera team there mm. then in his last season um, with the Bulls was amazing. But I think you can kind of apply this to a football context, can't you? Because we've had more and more, Marcus, of these series on Netflix mm. and Amazon Prime, as you say, um, purporting to be inside Manchester City mm. or inside mm. Borussia Dortmund or, or whatever. It's very in vogue, Andy, and at the moment. Very in vogue. It, it is, but I don't think football can quite do it right yet um of course there was a Leeds United one as 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 well which was better than I thought it would be um given that it was until I die that was quite popular yeah that did really well but that did really well because it was something totally different to what they thought they were going to do at the start because everything (laughs) went went horribly wrong and of course they say loose lips lips sink ships well you get plenty more loose lips when the ship is three quarters sunk so I, I think that made a, 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 a massive difference but I think if you look at it's not just a, a record of its time the last dance this Michael Jordan thing it's, it shows the difference not just how the sports journalism and access has changed but how access differs from American sport to mm. European sport and particularly football you know the, the, the fact that it always shocked me when I first like covered NBA games that you could like just walk up to players when they were sat down on the side of the court when they weren't training or we'd just go in the dressing room and LeBron James getting his trousers on. Andy, I disagree with that behavior because that, that going into the dressing room, as I said, I've done it once when I went to see New York city FC and went and dressed, and I'm just like, I mean, it was great to see Frank Lampard with his top off. Don't get me wrong, but seeing <laughs> players like put their, I just this, we were sort of, we were all waiting there like a pack of wolves, you know. And I just, I thought, no, like you just wait, wait until they're bloody dressed. I, I, I find it hilarious, but you are right in terms of the uh, <laughs> pun intended exposure that uh, people, uh, you know, that the, the players have to go through, you know. And, and it, I suppose it, it would 
inevitably lead to to more insight and better documentaries. But football's got to figure out a way to do this better and do this with mm. more candor and do this with more openness. I, th- I think that's something we could we could learn from the last dance, certainly. Yeah, um, we should say that uh, producer Charlie, a delightful chap that he is, posts a blog every Friday on our Patreon with some things to watch to to ease the lockdown boredom. There's some football related stuff and and some other shite on there as well. Uh, but uh, the, the one thing he actually posted on there was um, there was something that Charlie and I were both talking about. It's, it's an Adidas short film about Gary Aspen, Asp, uh, Aspen, sorry, and uh, Ian Brown's involved as well, going to Argentina to search out an old shop full of unreleased trainers. It's quite interesting. Wow. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not sort of earth shattering or anything, but it's it's not bad. And there's a few other things. When football nearly came home, little doc there. And another one, Concrete Football, which is a Netflix doc about street football in France. So these are all recommendations that uh, our dear Charlie uh, puts on there, just in case you haven't um, seen them. I watched the Amazon Prime one about Brazil under Chi-Chi, obviously, uh, going into Good. the Copper America last year. I mean, I I, like, I enjoyed it. I just think that during this time, it's just nice to see. I'd forgotten what happened in the Copper America, to be perfectly honest with you. Again, it doesn't give you a, a huge insight. I mean, people were critical of the Manchester City one on Amazon Prime, and I understand why, and I'm not defending it for a second. However, it did give me a little bit more insight than I already had if you see what I mean. You know, it's a bit like when Michael mm. Palin went to North Korea and people said, oh, well, I mean, he didn't get the access. Well, of course he didn't, but I've now seen more of North Korea than I did previously. By the way, speaking of mm. North Korea, Andy, talking about the Chicago Bulls, is it nice to see in The Last Dance Dennis Rodman as a sort of relatively normal human being then before he sort of went a bit crazy and ended up like in North Korea or defending them or something? Well, again, to make the, the, the football parallel, the mm. incredible thing to me about Rodman is he was unbelievable on that Bulls yeah. team and he was out on the lash all the time. It's, it's kind of like <laughs> Arsenal in the late 80s. He was the Ronaldinho of that team. <laughs> Although Michael Jordan might uh, might might say something about that. People say that Jordan's, you know, the greatest sportsman ever and this kind of thing. Do, do you subscribe to that, Andy? It's it's funny because if if you are asking greatest basketball player ever, I think I would say Jordan. But greatest sportsman ever, no, LeBron surely. James isn't 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 far off. Because I think mm-hmm. again, if we talk about like things are ways in which I like I would like to see football change, and that's something that we speak about quite a lot during during this crisis, isn't it? There are things that we have to take forward that have to be permanent changes to football. What I've always yeah. loved about LeBron James is is that is the whole package. And it's not just mm-hmm. that he was able to do it on the court with an enormous amount of expectation in the first place, which makes what he's achieved on the court not a given. But uh-huh. everything he is off the court, um, you know, philanthropist, political opponent to Trump. And that's not something we really see in football. Now, something we, we have seen in, in, in football in, in recent weeks is players more willing to take control of a situation and get involved socially without being guided by the clubs, them saying, right, we want to take control of this. We want to make our voices heard and contribute in a way that, that we seemed fit. And if, if that were to continue, I I think that would be a a huge improvement for football in general. Mm. Speaking of uh, Jordan, Andy, I, um, 
I uh, used to uh, dabble with open mic comedy back in the day, and I do stress open yeah. mic comedy. Anyone can have a go. <laughs> um, and uh, my my opening gag, uh, and this will give you some indication as as to why it remained just open mic comedy was. I, I recently went on holiday to the Middle East, you know, had, had a had a nice time. And I can now safely say that, uh, and this was a few years ago, mind, so do give me a little bit of grace. Uh, I now can say that um, that uh, w- one of the main differences between uh, Peter Andre and myself is that uh, I ended my time with Jordan feeling cultured and refreshed. <laughs> um and and I and I, I I and I would say that that is the you know the day of recording this you know you, you're unlikely to get more of a treat than that, but then <laughs> then Noel Gallagher has released an unreli- an un- previously unreleased Oasis demo, so not even the best treat of the day uh, for, for for some people. Uh, but there we are. Now, I think that's answered your question, Tom. Go and watch it uh, for crying out loud, um, and uh, and I'll stop with the Jordan gags <clears throat> now. On uh, our thread, uh, mailbag thread on on Discord, there's been some lively chat today, the very day that we are recording this podcast. Mason, the big Mason has got us, uh, the free Mason has got us, you may not be Mason, I hope you're not. Um, Mason's got us going uh, (laughs) with a question, (laughs) if you you could pick a 20-team league, uh, with clubs from anywhere in the world, what would you come up with, essentially? Now, Mason, I don't know whether that was your independent thought uh, or, or someone else has been asking that elsewhere on the on the Twitter sphere or the, you know, somewhere like that. But who cares? We're, we're going to get involved because uh, Rob G, Lee R. Paddy and Mason himself have got involved in this question. So it's a bit lively. Our very own Charlie Morgan, producer Charlie, has had a bash as well. Andy, I know you're keen to pick your 20 teams. You've generously put four uh, Scottish Premiership sides in there. So, what are the other sixteen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I, I really Not love this hidden. question from. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Livy. <laughs> Livy, okay. Oh dear. I, I, I really um, love this question, and even if Mason did steal it, well stolen, Mason, because yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. All ideas um, are stolen. But abs- absolutely, all great art is theft. But I think <laughs> when, when I sat down to do my 20, mm. which initially came really quickly, and then you realize who, oh, yeah. who you have to leave out, yeah. that's the difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my 20, then realized there was far too many that I didn't have in. So I took um, the very on-brand OTC decision to ditch all mm-hmm. Premier League clubs. So okay. um, that's that's the way I've I've gone with it. I've gone with it from an OTC perspective. So these European, are my twenty. Much, yeah, yeah. These, who would you these who would my... you have in the Premier League? Though? If you, if you, if you did have Premier League sides to add on, you're probably thinking what um, the two Manchester sides: Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, Newcastle. Well, that's, that's the now. thing. That's the th- yeah, exactly. That's the thing. You could you could have six. Liverpool. And I think I so them. much. <laughs> so much of it is conditioned to your. Your favouritism. Yeah, yeah. When I initially wrote it, I wrote um, I wrote Liverpool because mm-hmm. they're the most yep. important yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, English English club in European uh, European mm-hmm. Cup and Champions League history. Yeah, and yeah. I put in Tottenham because my godson supports them, <laughs> and those those were my choices. 
And, you know, they've got a wicked stadium. Anyway, having left them out, these are my 20. Um, Barcelona. Tottenham, Tottenham over Manchester United and Manchester City. Okay. Go on, no, Barcelona. Like no one's arguing Barcelona. Look, look, Tottenham have got to a Champions League final more recently than United. But look, we'll park it there, okay? Um, Barcelona, Real yeah. Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla... Oh, of course. That's beautifully generous. Uh, and I love the fact Thank that you, you put oh, Severe in there. I've not, I've not finished yet, Marcus. I've not finished yet. Okay. My next team is Betis because you can't that's have Severe without Betis. You can't you have can. Severe that's... without Betis. No, you Andy, can't. you and I, you and I have had many a long chat about the city of Seville, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place. And they're two lovely clubs as well down there. But that is generous putting Betis in. In fact, no, it's not generous. It's it's too far. But that's that's my point. It's about personal favoritism. It's about feeling. Right. It's about atmosphere. Atmosphere mm-hmm. is really important. No derbies. I don't want to watch any of this. To be honest, if if your <laughs> if your top rivalry in this uh-huh. is Barcelona versus Real Madrid, tap me out. I'm not interested, as, as right. David Cartledge would say. Um, I, I think and here's why I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think that the, the rivalries are such a huge part uh, part of football. They've got to be yeah. involved. So just let me get through my twenty, and then you can rip sorry, it apart. Sorry, okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Fair so play, fair play. I've I've got Barcelona, Real uh-huh. Madrid, Atletico, Sevilla, Betis, Lyon, Marseille, <laughs> Juventus, <laughs> Inter. Yeah. Milan, uh-huh. Napoli, Roma, yeah. Benfica, Porto, Ajax, uh-huh. Dortmund, Bayern. And for the 20th place, and to get it off in a spectacular style, I'd have Boca and River play off over two legs for the last place. Like that. I do like what that. What could go wrong? Uh, what could go wrong? No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to put uh, Newell's old boys instead. I think that's a lovely <laughs> touch. And uh, Oh, sorry. I, I'm, I mean, I'm too no... short, aren't I? I'm too short. Okay. Galatasaray, Fenerbahce. Nice. Yeah, I, th- I think when you're talking about atmosphere and all the rest of it, I think a Turkish side or two is, is, is a decent idea. So I think... I think um, representatives from the Greek League would be slightly disappointed not to have maybe Panathinaikos or Olympiakos in there because in terms of atmosphere, as you mentioned, they'd probably be up there. But I don't think many a neutral would, would you know, have too much of a problem um, with one of them missing out. I can imagine that uh, Paris Saint-Germain, did, you didn't mention them, did you? had Lyon and Marseille. No, I didn't. I'm going for the Lyon versus Marseille poison to carry us through. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love the and fact Mar- that you Marseille when it comes out. to atmosphere. No Marseille, no uh-huh. party. I think no velodrome, yeah, no party. Okay. Well, I thought you were going to say PSG and Marseille, but I love the fact that you've put Leon because another city, Andy, that you and I both love. You've spent yes. considerably much more time uh, in, in that place than I. But I did have a lovely weekend watching Wales v Portugal there. Uh, so I, I, I'm enjoying that. Disappointed that there's no representative from Scotland because I thought you know a few people might put in Celtic and they might be even put in Celtic and Rangers, although. That might be um, slightly too far. Uh, where else was I going to say? Yeah, no Russian team, no Zenit yeah. in there. You know, Dynamo Kiev, or Dynamo Kiev, Seska Moscow, or uh, I thought you might put Shakhtar in there. Actually, I thought you might do that, but you've 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 thrown me there. Um, I give you eight out of ten for that. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Can I tell you where I, th- I think this is simultaneously? 
a really fun exercise and Mm -hmm. actually really a lesson worth remembering it's brilliant to go through all these possible matchups and like yeah. the the variety of people's responses on on the discord and charlie's one as as, as well as has been yeah. absolutely brilliant what i think is say i'm, I'm not going to read through charlie's whole one but the mm. fact that he's got bayern and schalke uh, sorry dortmund and schalke in there is very yeah. important because it goes back to what i said about Football is nothing without these these rivalries, and mm-hmm. you know that that's the thing we can learn from this. That the, the Super League is uh, European Super League is a terrible idea. Yes, the amount of teams you have to leave out here, and the idea that the twenty best teams or the fifteen best teams make the best games, it's absolutely nonsense. Originally, mm. I had Sporting in because I thought, well, can you have Benfica and Porto without Sporting? I'm not really sure you can. The reason I've squeezed mm. Betis in there is because, not because they're a, a, a terrific team with a, an illustrious recent or even overall in terms of trophies, um, history of trophies. Um, but but then you think, what's, what's Sevilla without Betis? What's Betis without Sevilla? And then mm. you think, well, I've got Roma in there, but I haven't got Lazio in there. <laughs> and like for for me, le- leaving Schalke out felt like a a big thing as well. And you know, I, I had to ditch the Premier League clubs because I wanted to get Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, and then you can't have one without the other. And it still feels mm. weird without Besiktas being in there. Yeah. There are so many great clubs, and there are so many worthy rivalries in European football and beyond. Because of course, we've squeezed Boca and River on there, and s- some people on the Discord have got Santos in in there too. Um, leaving out Russia and Ukraine, as, as as you said, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Well, it goes to show that, as you mentioned a moment earlier, that the European Super League is a, is a daft idea. And and uh, even though it's not just Europe, of course, it was the rest of the world. But I love that we enjoyed the question, Mason, very much. So and it was and it was enjoyable Loved to it. go through it all. Although I think I think there with your with your chat about rivalries, Andy, which I, I obviously agree with, perhaps we should change the question to uh, some sort of 20-team Super League around the world, but you can only have um, city, uh, clubs that are the only the only club or the by far dominant club in, in that city. So you'd have Newcastle, Napoli, Southampton, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, Luton Town even, even though it's not a city, so there we are. Uh, excellent. Well, do get involved in that on, on on Discord. I mean, Andy, of course, didn't choose any Premier League team, so he had a bit more wiggle room. So maybe that's a, that's a, that's a way around it to get all your favourite European teams in. Let's uh, uh, tackle this question from Lee R, or R. Lee, as I affectionately like to call him now. He's, <laughs> poor old Lee, he's, he's, uh, he's been banging on the door with this question, and I love your persistence. You're like, uh, um, oh, I forget the parable. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the persistent widow. You're like the persistent widow, Lee, and I love that. Um, right. Last October, Lee said he did a similar German football trip to the one uh, you, Andy, and Luke did. He based himself nice. in Cologne and went to three games. He went to see Cologne 
uh, Dusseldorf, and a third-tier match between Duisburg, forgive pronunciation, and Kaiserslautern. And he was very impressed with Duisburg's 32,000-seater stadium, considering he hadn't heard of them, and, and neither had I, to be perfectly honest with you. And, of course, Kaiserslautern were a team we knew in the 90s. They won the league twice, I believe, in that decade. Michael Ballack was among their ranks in the, in the late 90s when they won the league. And so Lee is asking, could Andy B give any insight into why clubs like them and others such as Hansa Rostock, Dynamo Dresden, Alemannia Aachen, or Aachen uh, seem to struggle to get themselves back up to the top flight in Germany? It's a really cool question. I love it, Lee. And um, mm. I, I think we've, we've got to separate these, these teams out a, a little bit because... Um, I think if we start from the top and we start with Duisburg, it's a really interesting story because they were known differently at the start. They were known as uh, Meiderich, uh, which is the actual um, neighbourhood in Duisburg that they're, they're from. And eventually the club becomes MSV Duisburg, which sort of acknowledges the whole city, but mm-hmm. still keeps uh, Meiderich in it. And mm-hmm. they were one of the founder members of the Bundesliga. But apart from that, they don't have an enormously glorious history. So one of one of the things that we, we have to underline here right at the start is the fact that in terms of um, the professional game, it's, it's quite new official um, professional football in, in the Bundesliga. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have... Um, a, a professional league, a fully professional national league until 1963. And this is something that really affects, I think, all of these clubs going forward. And um, because they've got to come to terms with changes in finances, which is where the traditional clubs find things a little bit more difficult to deal with. There's, there's a terrific book, actually, that I should recommend uh, called Match Days by Ronald Reng. Now, Ronald Reng is is known mm. more widely for um, A Life Too Short, which is his his beautiful book on uh, his friend Robert Enker um, that he wrote after his, after his death, having been originally w- yeah. working on an autobiography with him. But Match Days is brilliant because it looks at the the way that German football changes over the years and how they they deal with this kind of new professionalism. And for quite a lot of... The demands on the clubs were huge at the beginning in, in the late 60s on Bundesliga clubs because by going to, profession, going to be professional, you assume, okay, new money. But, but this isn't the days of massive TV deals and, and the like. And if you look at clubs, say if you go down to like the... The, the, the fourth or fifth tier in England, when you get teams that are promoted to the fifth tier or then go up in, into the, the EFL itself, they've got a bit of a tricky balance because they're not getting an enormous amount more income, but they're faced with increasing overheads. And the professionalization of the game in, in Germany really affects that because all the part-timers, they were really well paid. There were so many under-the-counter payments going on to players. And this is something that it outlines in Match Day and Match Days, um, which is a great read. And it underlines the fact that um, the leap from mates doing favours to each for each other to match fixing is quite a, a small one. It's amazing when you read the book how mm. like non-serious match fixing 
feels. It just feels, oh, it's just a bit, a bit of mutual back scratching. It's, it's, it's fine, isn't it? And you yeah. have to check yourself. You know, you, you go through it and you realise how difficult it was for a, a lot of these traditionally big clubs, dominant clubs, to carry on going past that. Now, Duisburg's one example, but Kaiserslautern, who, who struggled to keep up with the professionalisation of, of, of the game, although they did have good years later on, Kaiserslautern is, is, is another one in, entirely because um, Kaiserslautern um, have, have this situation where they're going up and down out of the, the top flight and the second tier. So they win the league in 91, and then they go down, and then they come straight back up in 97 and become the first promoted club to win the Bundesliga mm-hmm. And in 98. And the year after that, they're in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. It's, it's Leicester on steroids, basically. <laughs> Um, but the problem is that they've got at the time is the, the expenses go through the roof. And so by the time they qualify for the UEFA Cup again in, what, 2001, the, the, the overheads are massive and they're leaking money left, right and centre. It's a huge problem for them to, to adapt. The other problem they have is if we're looking ahead to the 2006 World Cup, and of course Germany in terms of facilities – produces an absolutely brilliant World Cup, that they are in big trouble trying to enlarge the stadium because they try and uh, posh up the Fritz Walter Stadion, which is um, a very sort of established and uh, well-known place. And when it's chosen to be a a host city, Kaiserslautern, of um, of, of the World Cup, they're putting in a lot of money to... To, to, to make it right. Mm-hmm. And the construction company that gets the contract to do the stadium um, files for bankruptcy halfway through it. And so all of a sudden, they're left with this massive financial gap to fill of tens of millions. Um, the city pays some of it. The club pay some of it. The club are losing money to such an extent that they have to sell the stadium to the city to get themselves out of this enormous financial black hole. And and for them, it, it just starts a whole thing of like mm-hmm. it, it continues and makes worse this concept of, of, of living beyond their, their means the whole time, because they're an enormous club who can't reestablish themselves in the top flight. Now, since they've, they, they came down last time, which was what about 10 years ago, it's been really, really difficult for them to compete, uh, to mm-hmm. continue to meet any sort of expectation at all. They've not really been able to mount any promotion challenges. And this problem with the stadium has still been hanging over them all this time, mm-hmm. which is, 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 has been really tough. So um, they're, they're still trying to negotiate a, a cut in the rent that they pay the city. And the further down they've gone, They've really struggled to to meet those bills. And this is something we see for clubs all over Europe. And who knows, hopefully not, but I suspect that post-crisis, I think these ex-big clubs, and we've got loads of them in English football, don't we? The likes of Preston mm. and Blackpool, et cetera, et cetera. How they'll struggle to meet 
payments that, or, or, or sort of financial demands that relate to former glory, that, that will be really, really tough for them. Um, when we get to Hansa Rostock and Dynamo Dresden, that's a little bit mm-hmm. different because since reunification, um, yeah. East German clubs have really struggled to reestablish themselves in, in, the, in the top flight. It's been really tough for them. And if you look what's happened with Leipzig, for example, um, I mean, I did um, an, an edition of At The Match um, at Leipzig uh, probably just before this time last year, about February last year. And um, I, I went and spoke to some of the Leipzig fans because, of course, we know that lots of um, clubs, uh, lots of clubs and lots of players, uh, sorry, lots of fans outside in Germany just mm-hmm. have this feeling that, you know, it's, it's just a completely morally reprehensible, uber-commercial enterprise. But Leipzig as a place was always open and fans there were keen to express this to me that Leipzig was always open to this kind of approach from a company like Red Bull post reunification because they didn't have the same as the old West in terms of infrastructure investment. They didn't have car factories like um, Audi and Mm. Mercedes to, to put money into them to, to, to build them up. So Leipzig was always vulnerable. Yeah, so exactly. Leipzig was always vulnerable to this kind of approach. And some would say, in terms of a redressing of the balance, or not redressing of the balance, but a move towards redressing the balance between East and West, or maybe actually some investment, wherever it comes from, in East East German, old East German football is, is not such a bad thing. But to finish off, and I realise this has been quite a, a long answer, so I'll, I'll, I will cap it off. <laughs> to be fair, Lee um, Lee uh, deserves uh, proper attention with this question, you know. So I'm sure he'd yeah, be he's, he's asked it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, um, and we do appreciate it, Lee. But I, I think the, the other thing we could say is we just boil it down to look at Kaiser Slauten and Alemannia Aachen. What's the common denominator? Michael Fronsek got both of them yeah. relegated to the third tier. Maybe it's all his fault. <laughs> oh Michael 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 um, well, great for Manchester City though indeed indeed well Andy um, I think that uh, the, 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 the Lee R or R Lee will be delighted with that answer and if not Lee ask it again and see what happens um, but, uh, but thank you for your persistence with that I'm sorry it's taken us uh, a little while to get round to that one there we are, ladies and gentlemen. That ends the mailbag for today. Andy, what are you up to for the rest of this afternoon? Um, I'm going to go off and watch the Bocker series on Netflix. Of course, there's a River film, so I'll watch that for balance. I'll watch a River Plate film. Um, by the end of the day, I might be on Maradona in Mexico, but like, pray for me, Ramblers, because this time next week, I might be finally forced to watch the Antoine Griezmann biopic. Oh, right. I didn't know that was out there. My goodness. All right. Well, you watch that, Andy, so we don't have to. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much for your questions that you've got into the uh, mailbag thread on on the Discord. Uh, Keep them coming. Do keep them coming because we'll be back next week for another episode of the mailbag. But until then, thank you very much, Andy. Thank you. Thank you, Ramblers. Mm. Thank you, Ramblers, indeed. We'll see you next week.
was a Stakhanov production.